Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Talking Terps is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business established in 1959 and located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland of Carroll County. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So this is going to be our last episode of 2021. We're going to be talking a lot of football stuff. Uh, Big early National Signing Day for Maryland yesterday. Uh, Some news regarding Dante Demas' return next year. And uh, we're going to preview the bowl game against Virginia Tech. Uh, touch on a little bit of basketball at the end. Pat Donahue's out today, but I got my co-host Mike Popovic with me. Uh, how you doing, Mike? I'm doing great. Doing great, Zach. Want to wish everybody Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and Happy New Year as well. As uh, there's, uh, as you mentioned, there's a ton to talk about. And feeling uh, feeling pretty good today after uh, after the uh, big day on Tuesday. Or Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Tuesday, too. They got uh, they flipped Ramon Brown on Tuesday night. So it was, right. a, it was a big, really a big, like 12 to 24 hours there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maryland entered the week with one of the worst recruiting classes in the conference, finished yesterday, currently sit at uh, 28th in the country. I believe they're like eighth in the Big Ten, but yeah, six seven and eight, seven, six and seven is Iowa and Rutgers and they're they're ranked 26th and 27th nationally. So all clustered right. there together. Right. Um, you know, Big Ten, obviously solid recruiting. Ohio State having a big year. Michigan as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Loxley flipped two four-star players from South Carolina and Virginia Tech and a three-star player from Penn State within the course of like 12 hours, uh, as he typically does. Four, uh, so there's four four-star recruits in this class. Linebacker Jay Sean Barham, who they flipped from South Carolina. He's from St. Francis. Uh, wide receiver Shalik Knotts from North Carolina, who's been part of the class for a while. Uh, running back Ramon Brown from the state of Virginia. They flipped him from Virginia Tech. And then wide receiver Octavian Smith, who played some uh, quarterback in high school uh, for Paint Branch. So I want to get your thoughts initially. What Initial thoughts about the class. What stands out to you? Well, I think let me go back to last week and give you credit. You had said, hey, let's before we kind of jump the ship concerning those players that we knew that were leaving Maryland that we talked about last week, like a Lewis and a Jennings and uh, and others that let's see what Mike Loxley does in the transfer portal. He's had success there before. We know he's a good recruiter. So let's see what happens and see how that pans out there before we make uh, you know too much in the way of, of emotional comments on on the players that have left. So to that end, certainly, Zach, I, I certainly feel better today than I did prior to Tuesday night, as you talked about the news started coming out Tuesday night about players being flipped and such. So I, I do feel good about it. Um, that said, I would also caution folks that this is a, a completely different landscape. This is free agency now with the NCAA transfer portal, or at least this is part of it. Uh, as we know, high school player signing is, is still a big part of this, that these players that are coming today, no guarantee that they won't be going next year or the year after. So that's something to keep in mind as well, that even though this is great, we're, we're getting good news about how um, how much better the class is than it was just days ago. 
you know, will these guys be here for the long term? That's that's still to be determined, as we found out with Jennings and Lewis last year. At some point, as we talked about, they're going to need to be able to have a core group of talented guys that stick around so that they can accumulate wins and they can start to get this thing going where people are buying in and every year uh, Mike Loxley is able to you know, recruit the way he is. I'll say this, Zach. You know, six and six, it was really an uneven year, as we know. For him to do what he's done, obviously he is selling these guys enough still. There's still enough of a belief, even though last week I said there's you know room for concern with guys leaving. He obviously has done a nice job in continuing to sell folks that um, the future is still very bright in College Park. Yeah, so one thing I do want to mention, and I kind of realized this kind of looking at the names that are in the portal, and we should mention that uh, linebacker Osita Smith, a uh, local guy from, I think, Wild Lake, entered the portal today. He was kind of buried on the depth chart, uh, moved from safety to linebacker. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, but I was looking at the the list of names, and and we talked about the four primary guys who stood out who could have been or have been major contributors on the team, and that's Jennings and Lewis, the two linebackers from Florida, running back Penny Boone, Penny and running back Isaiah Jacobs. Mm-hmm. What do all those guys have in common? They're not from this area. And I went and I actually looked at the 12 now guys who are in the portal. Only one of them is a scholarship guy, and that's Osita Smith from the DMV. Rashard Jackson, a walk-on who was from this area and then went up to Scranton for junior college. So if you want to feel better about the guys that are leaving, what you can say is, well, the local guys have bought in. Loxley's got the local guys to buy in. They're staying. Rakim Jarrett has stayed. Some of the other high-profile, you know, Demian Robinson. Uh, four-star pass rusher has stayed. Uh, some of the defensive, other defensive linemen they got locally last year. And if you look at this class, seven of the eight top players are from the DMV. I believe they got three of the top 10 players from the state of Maryland. Uh, and it just seems like the local players have really bought in. The only guy in that top eight who's not from the DMV is Shalik Nas, the four-star receiver from North Carolina. And like I said, he's been part of this class for a long time. So obviously supplementing the class with Guys from outside of this area is important, but I think what we've seen is the high-profile local guys typically stay at Maryland. You look back to Stefan Diggs and some of those guys, some of the offensive linemen they got, Damian Prince, Derwin Gray. Um, The big splash recruiting signings that they've been able to get from the local area typically stick around, and hopefully that continues to be the case and I think just generally it it makes you feel a little bit better about the class that there's such a heavy local flavor I believe 11 of the 19 guys who signed yesterday uh from the DMV uh, Zach that's well said as well said as you start to dive into this um that's a, a perspective that yeah I, I certainly would subscribe to that the the evidence is there the proof is there and we talked about the importance of this Maryland program, if it's going to succeed in keeping talented players uh, at home uh, to College Park instead of them being plucked by the Penn States, the Virginia Techs, the Ohio States, the Michigans, uh, those kind of schools that come in and have taken a lot of talent out of the state for many years. So Mike Loxley's continuing to live uh, live up to that billing uh, with uh, this class. And to your point about those uh, who did stay and those who decided to go uh, here just a week or so ago. So that's all that's all certainly well stated. And I you know maybe jumped the gun a little bit last week in talking about the concern about the guys leaving. Um, still, though, you know, you hate to lose four and five star guys ultimately. Yeah. And again, 
let's hope that these are guys that are signing that are going to stick around for a couple of years. You know, chances are they're not all going to stick around, but, you know, who stays, who goes. But you're right, that tie to the state of Maryland is certainly important. And one player I'm not sure if you brought up or not in terms of flips, Andre Roy, the offensive tackle, also flipped his commitment from Penn State. That's obviously a big deal because they're in the East Division with us and they're a border rival team. Yeah, and it sounded like, and I don't know enough about Penn State's recruiting to really speak with any authority on this, it sounded like they may have picked up another high-profile offensive lineman, which kind of pushed him out uh, of any potential rotation. Um, and they had, from, a good, they had a good recruiting class this they did. year. Yeah, I mean, they're second or third in the Big Ten, and they're top five or six in the country overall, yeah. Yeah, so Roy is a guy, and you do have a number of offensive linemen in this class. From where I see, it's about five. One of them's a junior college guy. Right. Um, it's, it's someone that they wanted, so they yes. got a guy that they had targeted. That was big as well. Yeah. And there's a couple other junior college offensive linemen out there as well. Kobe Rios and Wallace Unamba, um, both from the Midwest. I think Unamba's from Texas. So they're going to look to still add to this class, especially in the junior college ranks. They've had good luck. Uh, Johari Branch was a solid addition a couple years ago. Uh, he's since graduated and moved on. But the offensive lineman in the in this class, uh, Roy is the highest ranked one. Um, from everything I've heard, he has all of the physical ability, uh, but definitely needs some coaching to be able to put it all together. Um, and Brian Braswell's done a really good job. He took uh, Mason Lunsford, who was thought to be kind of a wasted scholarship, and turned him into a very high-level starter at left guard this year. So hopefully he can do the same with Roy. Seems like he's done a really good job during his time here. I think also... Uh, the two uh, offensive linemen, Jacavian Nonar and Keon Kindred from the state of Florida, high school teammates. I heard that University of Florida was really sniffing around them hard, uh, trying to get them to flip towards the end, but they stayed solid to Maryland. They're low had a coaching change there. Yeah. yeah. They're ranked low uh, in the recruiting rankings, but everything I've heard is that they're going to, they're expected to play well above that. Uh, both have the size uh, to really contribute pretty early on in their collegiate careers. Tough for offensive linemen to play as freshmen, but you'd hope by their by their third year, at least, they're they're making an impact. Well, and three stars of Florida, maybe four, four and occasionally five stars elsewhere with all the talent that that state has. And look, Maryland's in a situation where they're going to need to find some three-star guys that are a little bit in the way of diamonds in the rough or, or close to diamonds in the rough that have a lot of upside that may be under the radar a little bit that they could coach up and uh, end up being guys that end up being four and maybe occasionally five-star type talent at the collegiate level for them. Yeah, one thing I will say is, and this is a gripe that I've had for a long time, is the focus and the hyper-focus on recruiting rankings. And we like to talk about recruiting rankings. And I know I led off saying that Maryland's got the 28th best class and all these four-star guys. If you really look back at, you know, and I like to give the example of Ty Johnson, two-star recruit, uh, Jake Funk, a low three-star recruit. If you look at who really made the biggest impact for Maryland as a freshman last year, it was probably Colby McDonald as a running back, played in seven games, have finished second on the team in rushing, one of the lowest-ranked recruits in the class. So it is about finding those diamonds in the rough. Who fits your system? Who has the right mindset? Who is going to fit your team? And a lot of times those guys can have more of an impact through their entire career than your four, four and five-star guys. Yeah. Um, so I think Maryland historically has done a good job of finding those guys. A school like Maryland has to be able to find those guys because you're not get loading up with five and four star guys every year. You have to be able to find those guys and hopefully they have this year.
No, that's absolutely right. And again, you feel a lot better to where Maryland's ranked in the top. And it, it, look, these metrics, we have to have something to go by, something to judge things. But yeah. you're right. These aren't the end all be all. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, these guys still have to come in. They got to go to class. They got to practice. They got to perform and play against guys that have been in systems and have experience under their belt. So at the end of the day, just like with the NFL draft, it is a bit of a crapshoot. It is. I mean, to say that, oh, there's a sure thing, there's a sure thing. There may be a few of them, but but that's that's to me, that's far and few between. Every player that comes in uh, needs at least some amount of coaching, some amount of work experience, et cetera. But to see the turnaround, though, from where we were, say, Monday, if we had done this Monday, Zach, as compared to where we are today, you obviously feel a lot better. And again, you give Mike Loxley a lot of credit. And I think that a win against, I know we're going to get to the game, a win against Virginia Tech in the bowl game, that would be nice. That would help because that would be two wins in a row to end the season. It would be fresher in our minds. Seven wins. We'll have to look back the last time that Maryland's had seven wins. And at that point, you can have something to build on. And, you know, we talked about, and I wrote back a couple of weeks ago that Maryland should have won that Penn State game. You saw flashes. Yeah, they got down to Michigan State. But they fought and came back at times in that game. Then they dug themselves another hole. So you did see some flashes at times in some of these games. But think about it. Maryland finished seven, uh, six and six. If they win that Penn State game at home, Zach, they're seven and five. And I think that psychologically, that's much different. And then you've got three wins in the second half of the year as compared to two. And one game, one game psychologically, I think, Makes a big difference, and it's Penn State too, border border school. Um, so you think about it, if they had that one game, how much different maybe would people be talking about this season and this team and the future of the program? And important to get those wins over the local programs that you're competing with and recruiting as well. And I know Virginia Tech, a team that you know, obviously an old ACC rival, if you want to call it that, but at least a, a, a an old ACC opponent, um, and a team that you are a program you're competing with. In recruiting, Maryland's been trying to break in uh, to the Virginia recruiting ranks. They they did a little bit of it under Durkin when they had Chris Beatty as their wide receivers coach. He recruited that Tidewater area really well. But I did see Brian Stewart a couple years ago was in the Northern Virginia area, uh, an area that Maryland really hasn't recruited super well recently. They do have Caleb Wheatland from Chantilly uh, in the class this year, and then Ramon Brown from Midlothian, which is more I think the Richmond area. Uh, but Benedictine, you know, right? They were- yeah. So so you're looking at, you know, who are you competing against recruiting wise and, and Virginia Tech, if you want to break into that Tidewater area, some of the talent down near Blacksburg, because there is some talent down there in the Roanoke area. Uh, this is a game that's big uh, and you're going to have an opportunity and we'll talk about it in a minute uh, to win this game uh, and finish with your first winning season since 2014 which did not finish with a bowl win, but it was still a winning season. They got seven wins in the regular season that year. Right. Um, well, and, and the other thing with that, and again, we'll get into it, but with Brent Pride taking over Virginia Tech being the former Penn State defensive yep. coordinator, that's a big deal because he knows this area already, and I'm not sure if his recruiting area was the Mid-Atlantic. We may have touched upon this in the last one, but he obviously at least has some working knowledge of it. So you know, to get a win here on top of what they did um, you know, so far what they've done so far with the recruiting class. And obviously they still have till the end of the week this week with the early signing. And then February 2nd, I believe it is, is the actual, yep. the actual day where you could still uh, end up uh, 
coming off with a couple more players, you know, that uh, that would be a step uh, a step in the right direction or, or a step ahead of Virginia Tech, that is. Yeah, and the transfer portal really hasn't kicked in uh, yet either. Only a few guys have really made their decisions. Uh, I did see Penny Boone's headed to Toledo, should mention that. Correct. Uh, so cl- a lot closer to home for him. Yeah, uh, he's from, uh, from Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, from the Detroit area. Uh, but obviously Maryland's going to be be adding there. They did pick up a a former four star linebacker Vandarius Cohen uh, from West Virginia. Right, he's on board. Seems like a good depth pickup. Not sure if that's going to pan out. He's had a l- some issues uh, at his previous stops, but you know maybe maybe they figure things out. You got plenty of linebackers on the roster either way. Right, and that's true. And one of the things uh, when I had Keith Cavanaugh on my show on uh, on the fan uh, last Saturday, he said that here's a guy that. This is kind of his final chance because yep. he's a senior, and so he does have a bit of a, of a past. But if he wants to play in the NFL, it's in his best interest to get his act together now and going forward and making sure that uh, he puts his best foot forward this year, senior year, uh, to give himself a chance to get drafted into the NFL. And, and you know, going back for just a second to and, – and I won't get into too much detail with it uh, for privacy reasons, but in – some of the players that departed, uh, Zach, from College Park, my understanding was it ended up being addition by subtraction. It's unfortunate the way things went, but uh, there was some cancer there, uh, for lack of a better term, that was starting to develop, and it was just better that that took place. And I realized, too, with Maryland, and again, it's a fine line that you have to walk if you're Mike Loxley, that when you're recruiting guys, a Maryland sometimes has to take chances. Mm-hmm. And if they're able to get those chances into the school in the first place, that's that's a big deal to begin with because Maryland has, as we've talked about, standards that other schools are competing against don't don't have as high of. Um, so they have to take chances. And sometimes those chances can uh, end up backfiring on you. So you have to do a really uh, a really bang up job in background background research and just you know profiling these guys and even with taking the chances, um, you got to be careful about it. And and again, it's a, it's a tough line because here we are saying, you know, Maryland needs to be rebooted. They got to go out and get players and recruiting is a lifeblood and we need talent, talent, talent. Well, yeah, uh, some of that talent has a checkered past and or, or could have um, some signs there that make you worry about what kind of guys is going to be in the locker room. So that's a long way of, of just saying that it might have been for the best. But again, you hate to lose the kind of talent from a strictly, uh, you know, a recruiting standpoint, four and five star guys that, uh, you know, that you lost. Yeah. And I know I mentioned that last year, I had heard the same rumblings uh, that, you know, there were issues in the locker room that uh, some of these guys had checkered pass and they were bringing them to college park. Sometimes it can work out, you know, Maryland under jerk and uh, took a chance on JC Jackson. And now he's turned out to be one of the best, if not the best cornerback in the NFL. So and I, some, did anybody see him doing in the NFL? I mean, obviously he's breaking records, but J.C. Jackson at Maryland, I saw flashes from him there, but I'll be honest, I didn't see a guy that from game one to game 12 was that good. You know, I mean, it, it, I didn't see that, but obviously give the Patriots credit, they saw something in him and he's taken, he's taken off. So. Yeah, credit to him for putting it all together. Sometimes it does take until maybe you get to the NFL. And obviously yeah. working with one of the best defensive minds in uh, the league in Bill exactly. Belichick. Yeah, if he can't get something out of you, nobody can. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, I do want to mention before we move on to the Virginia Tech game, you are going to have nine players enrolling early, which is important, including yes. four offensive linemen. 
uh, which is really going to kickstart their development, get them in there working with Brian Braswell. Also, three linebackers, in sh- including Jay Sean Barham, are going to be enrolling early, which is going to be big. Obviously, you do get uh, Fanaji Gote back from injury. He's projected to probably start, but they're going to be able to use a rotation at that position. And and Barham can probably play. I think he can play some inside linebacker, but he's mostly uh, a pass rusher. A uh, good, all, well-rounded player can probably play that strong side position where he can cover a little bit, stop the run, and also rush the passer. Um, so, and he has the ability to contribute immediately. And he was, what, a DeMatha guy initially and then went to St. Francis, but Elijah Brooks had the relationship with him believe from so. his freshman year at, at DeMatha, I believe, is the uh, is the case there. Yeah, so. and credit to Loxley. I mean, St. Francis has been a place that they've been trying to break into, and Biff Pogey mm-hmm. has, has never really seem to push his guys towards Maryland. I don't know if he's necessarily as anti-Maryland as the conspiracy theorists want to think. But... I don't think he I don't think he is. And I actually saw him at a Maryland game a couple of years ago um when DJ Durkin was the head coach there. And maybe Durkin was trying to make some emirates. I don't I don't think he is, but of course now he's uh on the staff at Michigan once again. Right. Um so obviously that and and Michigan picked up a St. Francis player, but uh, but the Roy pickup as well, that was big. That's yep. another St. Francis guy there. Yeah, and it seemed like, you know, obviously Barham, and we haven't really talked about what went on over the weekend, but he committed to South Carolina. Uh, the rumbling said he was going to commit to Maryland on Saturday, and then he committed to South Carolina, which is right. the way things looked like they were going to go for about a month or so. Uh, and then Wednesday morning, we wake up and we find out that he signed with Maryland. And then obviously combine that with the Roy uh commitment to Penn State uh, about a month or two ago and you say well damn these two top St. Francis uh targets and they've both committed elsewhere they both end up signing with Maryland did you see the quote from Shane Beamer when he was (laughs) at he said he's he's salty yeah but when he was asked about the fact that the flip came is no surprise he said um you know, about what, you know, why he did it. Well, you'd have to ask the young man that you're referring to. I know I can't say that it's a surprise. When this particular young man committed on Saturday, about 10 minutes later, I got a phone call from somebody in the know up there that said, just so you know, and by the way, South Carolina is under armor. So I, I don't know if yeah. that somebody, you know, tied in. Anyway, just so you know, it's all a part of the plan. He's going to flip on Wednesday and go to Maryland. So I can't sit here and say that I was shocked. I, I, so a part of the plan... It almost, and and I hate to sound like a conspiracy theorist as well, but it's almost as like, okay, privately, look, you're we know you're coming to Maryland, but if you commit to an SEC school and then flip, it makes it look that much better for us. I, I, I I'm just saying. I, I mean, when you see when you see a play when you're at Maryland and you see a player say that they flipped their commitment from an SEC school, and granted, South Carolina is not an elite SEC school, but they've had their time. Uh, it just, it makes you wonder, like, is that to add some pizzazz to the flip and to the program that he's going to, it's worth putting it out there. Who knows? I mean, they did flip a a running back from Virginia tech, which you would think is pretty major and a, and a tackle from Penn state as well. So who knows? I mean, I mean, though, but there's a new coaching staff of odd tech. So that's surprising with Penn State, that's a different story because James Franklin got the big extension, but as you talked about, you know, Roy may have been, and you hope that's kind of not the case, that you hope that they kind of still wanted him. I mean, he did have an offer. He was going there, but they may have been able to replace him. But um, with the Vod Tech situation, that, that makes more sense there. 
Yeah, so who knows? But uh, obviously, good to have him in the fold uh, as their as Maryland's top rated rated recruit in this class. Uh, mm-hmm. He he's really leading the way in this class. He's he's the poster boy, mm-hmm. uh, along with three other four star recruits. There was uh, some talk about the portal next door at Delaware. Uh, Colby Reader, a linebacker, yep. uh, was being looked at. You may have brought him up last time. I I, I don't remember all these names and, and shows I'm doing. They all run together. But he decided that he's going to go to Iowa State. And I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with that Delaware program, covering it on my local show at the beach and having their head coach on every Monday. Of course, they – let Danny Rocco go, the former Richmond coach who also had some NFL experience, and they brought in uh, a former uh, backup quarterback, Ryan Carty, who was a coach at New Hampshire, and then offensive coordinator at Sam Houston State for Casey Keeler. Keeler used to be a UD head coach who took him to a couple national championship games. But anyway, that's to say that that was the fallout there. They lost a couple of players there, and that was a guy that Maryland was maybe looking at trying to get at the uh, linebacker position. And he he's a good one. He's a really good one. Yeah, I know they had offered him. Um, maybe adding Cowan was because they knew they weren't going to get him. Uh, but good for Maryland that he did it and didn't end up at Rutgers because it sounded like that was where he was going to go. He's got connections to someone on that coaching staff, is what I had heard. So better Iowa State than Rutgers. Yeah, uh, and Maryland's the two teams played each other earlier this year, so they have an intimate knowledge of him because they played gotcha. against them. So okay. yeah. Yeah, no shortage of linebackers on Maryland's roster this no, year, so they shouldn't no be shortage. shouldn't be hurting too much. Uh, at that position, also want to mention guys back too from injury. Yeah, yeah. Also want to mention Colton Deary, an offensive lineman. He's going to be wrestling for Maryland as well as playing for the football team. So a, a two-sport uh-huh. athlete there. So that's always that's always good. Uh, Maryland wrestling team. Not sure how they're doing currently. I know they have a pretty good past, pretty historically good program. The switch to the Big Ten though, that it's an uphill yeah. climb. I, I know yeah. that the wrestling coach, boy, this goes back several years, came to a. Um, an event in Ocean City that I was at, which ironically at the time, Randy Edsel was uh, there as well, yeah. uh, talking to uh, boosters. And of course, the story came out about Edsel <laughs> the other day. That What a debacle. Right. We all know what a disaster he was. Yeah, Titus Till, former Maryland uh, defensive back, came out. And you felt for Till because he he was yeah. really committed. He loved Maryland. He, and yeah. he even kept his head up when he was benched, thinking, I'm, I'm going to work through this. I'm going to get my way back on the field. God bless him. I mean, he did not deserve the treatment he got. And, you know, Edsel kind of reminds you of uh, Urban Meyer, who, uh, you know, yeah. just got fired uh, at Jacksonville with the uh, Jags in the NFL. Yeah, unfortunate for sure. And no matter what happens with Loxley and no matter how much success he has here, you you can never doubt that he has the player's interest at his at his heart. You know, their best interest at heart. Uh and you know, that's how he's able to relate to these kids and recruit them because he he feels for them. Um and it, and it's not an act. Uh and this really is his dream job as opposed to Randy Edsel saying it is it's his dream job even though I don't know if he had ever stepped foot in the state of Maryland before uh he was the head coach. Well, he's from York, Pennsylvania and right. uh, there was some uh, some tie just uh, while I was a Terps fan or what have you. And, uh, Whatever he can make up for the media, uh but I'm sure Penn State was actually his dream job. Um so let's talk um let's talk Pinstripe Bowl for a bit. Um, because we're not going to have a, a podcast before that game happens. Uh, Maryland's going to face off against Virginia Tech December 29th in Yankee Stadium. We talked about that a little bit last week and the importance of being able to sell that to recruits, a much more desirable location than Detroit. 
uh, and local enough that fans of both teams can make their way up there. Uh, Maryland's currently favored by one point in this game. Uh, Hokies finished last year or this year with a six and six record, four and four in the ACC. Uh, they upset North Carolina to start the year and were ranked, but then kind of fell off after that. They fired uh, their head coach, Justin Fuente, towards the end of the year, replaced him with interim head coach R.J. Prince. And then they have since, as Mike mentioned, uh, hired Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry as their next head coach. He's busy recruiting. They're going to let the old coaching staff coach this game. They're also going to be without six starters and their backup quarterback due to opt-outs and players who have entered the transfer portal. So that's obviously uh, a big big news and, and gives Maryland a big advantage because Maryland's only got one guy who's declared for the NFL draft. That's tight end Chigokonkwo. And he's announced he is going to play in this game, uh, which is which is obviously good news. Uh, so I got to tell you, hats off to the young man for doing yeah. that and, and, and finishing out with his teammates there. And why don't we also make the announcement about Dante Demas? Yeah, absolutely. Demas is coming back. And I said last week I, I threw him in with the transfers, assuming he would go. And I think that was still a safe assumption. But mm -hmm. to his credit, Demas is coming back next year. So that's certainly a, a feather in, in Mike Loxley's cap. In a lot of ways, Zach, that's almost like you can add that to the recruiting list because I don't think Mike Loxley expected it back next year the way he talked. Doubt it. Um, and, and this allows you to go into next season with the same core of wide receivers, the top three that you had this year in Demas, Sean Jones, and Rakim Jarrett. And you added a, some really good young receivers in this class. So uh, being able to combine them with the guys that you already have. And there, there's still a possibility that a guy like Brian Cobbs and Carlos Carrier comes back. Um, we'll see how many scholarships are available at the end of the year, but these guys all have eligibility uh, after the the extra year they got uh, due to COVID. I mean, Carrier's um, been a team guy here. Uh, yeah. He could have left. He's kind of been buried. He got his opportunity. You kind of think that with that mindset that he's a guy that would come back. I can't speak for Cobbs. Yeah, and we'll see. I know also Challen Famato, the running back, has been talked about as a guy who may be able to come back if there's a scholarship open. Uh, he's he obviously it's suffered a crowded that, room, crowded room, knee injury. It's a little bit crowded, uh, but you do you do need. I mean, Ramon Brown and Colby McDonald will be kind of leading there, and then you got R Roman Hemby and Antoine Littleton. Right, uh, but would certainly be I think snaps available for Ma for Famato if he can. Well, he's back. got the experience, and he he yep. showed better than than I think a lot of people expected. A lot more athleticism at times than than I expected to see. It wasn't uh, just a three yards in a cloud of dust in between the uh, the two guards and center type guy. Yeah, very explosive on the edge, uh, much more than you would expect. So Virginia Tech, I was looking at looking at them and kind of how they've done this year offensively. Mm -hmm. They it looks like they lean on their running game. Uh, they've they've found more success with that towards the end of the year than they had at the beginning of the year. And yep. it's a three-headed attack. They got two running backs, Raheem Blackshear and Malachi Thomas. And then Braxton Burmeister, their quarterback, is also a, a big part of their running game. Uh, they run a, a you know typical spread offense, uh, spread to run. They like to run between the tackles and then get Burmeister on the edge in their zone read game. Uh, and he he does that pretty well. Uh, he does the running game pretty well. Uh, not a very strong passer at all. Their passing offense is is pretty bad. Uh, and really for Maryland, it seems like the the recipe for success defensively is to force them into obvious passing situations. Burmeister's completing just 56% of his passes this year. He's only thrown for over, over 250 yards once this season. And if you really look at it, uh, most of his games have been in the 100s. 
uh, in passing yards. Um, he's taking care of the ball pretty well, 14 touchdowns, four interceptions, but he's going to also be without his two leading receivers, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson. Uh, they're both leaving early. Um, one is in the transfer. I think Robinson's in the transfer portal and Turner is leaving early for the NFL. They combined for half of the team's receiving yards and touchdowns. So big losses from an already pretty bad passing attack. Uh, so as long as Maryland's run defense can be decent, which we really haven't seen this year, um, but hopefully um, they're able to force Burmeister into some obvious passing situations. That seems to be the way to beat Virginia Tech uh, when they're when they have the ball. You look at their schedule, the upset you mentioned against North Carolina, they lose to a West Virginia team that Maryland defeated that we know is uh, maybe not a great team, but they're a solid team. They're not an easy, you know, they're not an easy game or easy team to to defeat. Uh, they lose to them by six. They lose to ranked Notre Dame by three. Uh, they lose to Syracuse by five. Yeah, Pitt handled them pretty good. But, of course, Kenny Pickett, with a, their quarterback, with a Heisman Trophy candidate, um, you know, they, they lose to Miami, who got hot at the end of the year uh, by 12 in that one. But as you take a look, they could have had a couple more wins on the resume, potentially, yeah. there. Uh, so, you're looking at a six and six team that could have been Eight and four. I know that the gentleman that I do high school football with, uh, Zach, his son is a freshman at Virginia Tech. So he's gotten to be, and, and this guy's from Virginia as well. So I think he's always been a longtime Va Tech fan. He always lamented about the offense this year and that it wasn't explosive enough, that it wasn't good enough, and that Fuente needed to go. But I will say this, though you look at some of the scoring, and there have been games where they've put up a fair amount of points. So I don't know. How much? I mean, I, I think certainly to your point, they're they're very one sided, one dimensional. But they've shown. I mean, they put up thirty six against you know Syracuse. They put up forty eight against Duke, twenty six against Miami, twenty nine against Virginia, um, thirty five against Middle Tennessee State. Uh, so they have scored some points uh, against uh, teams this year. Maybe not all the great ones, uh, but you know that said uh, to your point with the losses. This seems like a game that certainly Maryland uh, has the edge in and ought to take advantage of it. And you hate that to be the case with these bowl games now because you can't take as much away from them as you'd like to. But all you could do is suit up, practice, play the game. Or excuse me, all you could do is practice, suit up for the game and play and and uh, you know do your best and hope to come out with a win. But I don't know that you can look back on these bowl games as much as you used to be able to say and say, oh, well, that team beat that team and blah. It just doesn't work with the with the opt outs and the guys going to the NFL early, and then the coaches who have left early and the uh, for other jobs. And that's one thing that I think Maryland also has an edge in in this game. You Big know, time. How how hard is Virginia Tech going to play, knowing that you know they have an interim coaching staff, they've got their guy for next year, but they've also got players missing for this game. Um, you know, it's hard to know. Um, I will say. Uh, as far as their scoring goes, uh, the ACC not necessarily known for defense, especially this year. Uh, Clemson is really the only like competent yeah. defensive team in that conference. Um, so obviously Maryland's defense has struggled. Um, so we'll see how they how they match up. The way that Maryland loses this game, I think, is is allowing Virginia Tech to run the ball all over them, a la right. Minnesota earlier this year, and keeping as as, thus keeping Maryland's offense off the field. Exactly. 
Right. Exactly. Uh, defensively, you know, Virginia Tech under Bud Foster, it seemed like they always had one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah. That's really dropped off the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, Bud Foster's last year, they were not great. Uh, like th- I think that was three years ago. Uh, and yeah. they've got a, a new guy in there. I forget his name, but he's a he's an old player who used to play for Foster. They still run the a similar scheme. They still run that four two five. Uh, they want to, you know, lots of exotic blitzes and stunts along the defensive line. And they they like to rely on good corners, obviously known for good corners and defensive backs. Uh, Kyle and Kendall Fuller come to mind, along mm-hmm. with a lot of other guys. Uh, but they really haven't had that this year either. And they're going to be without one of their starting corners. So it, it seems like an opportunity for Maryland. Um, you know, obviously their passing offense has been their best weapon uh this season but virginia tech's run defense has really been their the worst part of their defense so it would be nice to see uh tayon fleet davis colby mcdonald really be able to get something going in the running game we saw them sort of be able to do that in the last couple games of the year especially against Rutgers. they were able to run the ball a little bit uh, and that's really all you need to be able to do with all the weapons that talia has still in the the passing game um, but hopefully the offensive line can open up some holes in the running game. So that would really help uh, take the pressure off Talia uh, to do too much with his arm. Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, I, I guess I, you could look at it two ways. You kind of are who you are at this point, especially you know last game of the season. So I don't know that Maryland is going to end up doing a whole lot in terms of the running game. However, you do have a lot of extra practices here and maybe it's a point of emphasis for next year that, look, we've got to build on, or excuse me, we've got to improve our running game uh, drastically. So let's use these practices to really ramp up the run game. And so maybe we see that more than we expect. Uh, but on the other hand, maybe you know, Maryland just says, look, we'll, we'll handle that in the spring. Let's just try to get better, but ultimately you know, do what we do well. And that's sort of the football and we'll uh, supplement the running game with extended runs, which are passes in, in vis-a-vis uh, the, uh, you know, the, the bubble screens and such to the outside or uh, jet sweeps and such to the outside. So we'll have to see which one ends up playing out in that one. By the way, though, and you've seen this, the board is all over the place in Vegas where you've got to pick them to Virginia Tech being a one-point favorite to Maryland being a one-point favorite. Yeah, uh, before all of the announcements came about all the players who were going to be out for Virginia Tech. I believe they were a two and a half point favorite. And I was just looking at the ESPN app and whatever they had on a neutral field. Exactly. Um, And that swung about three and a half points over to Maryland uh, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. It seems like on paper, it seems like a pretty even matchup uh, based on what both teams have done this season. Obviously, both finishing six and six. But then also not having the best defenses. Um, Virginia Tech obviously leans on their running game offensively. Maryland leans on their passing attack. Um, but it seems like an even matchup. Obviously, then you have to factor in the guys who are going to be missing for Virginia well, Tech. And exactly. the fact they're going to be with a new, relatively new head coach. I think he coached the last two games of their season. They had the the interim in there. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously something that that Maryland has an advantage in. Uh, you also see in these bowl games a couple things. One is that they haven't played a team other than themselves for a month so things can get sloppy early on uh, and you also see a lot of trick plays typically um, so we'll see if Maryland has anything like that cooked up um, hopefully the special teams can 
lock things down a little bit because that's another way that Maryland could lose this game. Uh, I think they allowed, what, a punt return for touchdown last week? You know, Ron Zook's unit, special teams unit, has been uh, pretty bad this season. Uh, and we'll see if if things are, are, if there's any changes made to the coaching staff in the offseason. We can talk about that in the new year. Yeah. Um, but I hopefully he's got too much on his plate. That That's the only thing I'll say. Possible. I wonder if that's why the special teams have suffered for a guy that coached that specifically as a coordinator in the NFL. You have to wonder, is it him or is he just not able to give it the time that it deserves? Yeah. And I will say one thing that typically also happens during this extra month of practice is that they will put on full pads and run special teams. They don't usually do a whole lot of that during the year, um, but everything, you know, uh, you have this extra time. Well, they uh, you want to get <laughs> you want to get the young guys, and especially with the with the issues that Maryland's had. So hopefully they can lock that down a little bit. You'd like to see that some improvement there. Yeah. Um. And because that's a way that that Virginia Tech could kind of blow this game wide open. You also are playing in a uh, in a baseball stadium, which is unique. Sometimes you have some issues with the the turf that they that they bring in. So they've been doing this game for a while. So hopefully there's no issues there. Um, but definitely a different atmosphere uh, for the players. Well, and will they be on the same sideline? I know that at Wrigley Field, when Wisconsin, I think Northwestern played earlier this year, that they were both on the same sideline, and there were some logistical things with getting signs in and how they were going to do all that, and and to make sure sign stealing didn't take place, that there were some adjustments that, that had to be made. Yeah, and I, I don't completely remember. I don't think so. Uh, I know they've done bowl games at Wrigley, and I remember I remember the whole same sideline thing because there's just not enough room. I think Yankee Stadium they typically have enough room to put the the teams on opposing sidelines. Yeah, and and they right, and and given the fact that it's a, a much younger stadium, I would assume that right they should be on on both yeah. sides. Obviously, Wrigley is much older and and smaller. So, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. They're playing a, a game in Fenway on the same day uh, that Maryland is playing at Yankee Stadium. First oh, ever bowl game in Fenway. Which game is that? I've... It's. I think it's called just the Fenway Classic. It's a new bowl. Do you know who the teams are in that one? I think Virginia's playing. I forget who else, but if Virginia's playing somebody. I, I yeah. missed that. That's awesome. That, yeah, I, so I that'll be interesting. That. I like that. Yeah, I think that's neat. And in terms of home field advantage, I, I, that has to. I don't know if that how much that's favored in. It, it, with the bowl game and with players opting out and the coaching situation, I don't know how much the proximity of the stadium to these uh, campuses plays into the line at all, but obviously both teams are close enough that you can bring a pretty good contingent. And the fact that it's New York city, you can make uh, you know a three day trip out of it or a two day trip out of it. Or even if you just want to do the one day, um, especially if you're coming from College Park, that's that's a relatively easy thing to do. So there's no reason why you know there can't be a, a fairly good contingent for both schools. And I know Maryland's got a lot of New Yorkers that that go uh, to to College Park, so I would think Maryland should be fairly well represented there. Yeah, Maryland has a big alumni base in New York City. Uh, right. I have a few friends uh, just from my graduating class who are up there. So. Got, that's how, you obviously want to see that uh, and hopefully they all turn out and hopefully there's a, it's a good uh, turnout. You you certainly are going to have more people there than it would be if they were playing in that bowl in Las Vegas that they were rumored to, to be in for that guaranteed rate bowl that they ended up putting Minnesota in. Not as many Maryland fans would make the trip out to that. And the last right. bowl game that Maryland had in Michigan, uh, the one before that in 2014 was in California, the Foster Farms Bowl. 
it really you have to go back to 2013 when they played in Annapolis in the military bowl to to find the last really local bowl game for Maryland. And like I mentioned before, 2014, their last winning season, 2010, the last time that they won a bowl game over East Carolina in the military bowl in old RFK Stadium. And I was so at, hopefully they can put an end to that. Yeah, I was at that game. That was okay. that was a it was a great day because Maryland won Fridge's final game. Uh, yeah. but it was frigid that day. I can tell you that. Yeah, and they finished the year that year. I think ranked twenty third, finished ranked in the top twenty five. The last time mm-hmm. that Maryland has finished a season ranked in the top twenty five, not going to happen this year. But hopefully they can finish with a win, finish with a winning season. That would obviously be big. So obviously, uh, prediction time. Uh, we don't have Pat here. Uh, but what do you think about this game right now? Obviously, a lot can happen in the news the next couple of weeks. Uh, as far as players opting out and stuff. But uh, but what are you thinking as far as this game goes? Yeah, I mean, I, I think given all that you've laid out, you make a, a strong case for Maryland to win this game. And I think they will come away the victor in this one. I, I like their chances. Uh, I'm going to go in this one. I'll go by a touchdown. I'll go 24-17, Maryland. All right. Yeah, and I, I I agree. I think, I think it'll be a close game, uh, not only because of – um, the team's relative, uh, the being relatively even in a lot of different ways and Virginia tech playing really all their games pretty close this season, but also because like I mentioned, bowl games, things can be sloppy early on. It can take a little while for each team, especially offensively to find some footing. Um, right, the so I think it'll be close. Yeah. I think it'll be close. Um, but hopefully Maryland's able to pull away. I think they will. I think Talil finish off with a with a strong game and and give them a lot of confidence headed into I'd the like season. to think so yeah yeah so let's touch on basketball for just just a couple minutes before we sign off here uh we only have one game really to talk about that's occurred in the last week and that's a win uh we finally have a win to talk about after three straight losses they upset upset Florida in Brooklyn last weekend um so what initial thoughts from this game what did you like I know uh, really, for me, the the difference was the offense, uh, and they finally found some rhythm uh, shooting the basketball. They did, and this is the team that we were expecting, I think, this year with the transfers that came in, the way that they played. First off, this was a really competitive game. Both teams went all out. This was a, an enjoyable game to watch, uh, first and foremost, before you delve into you know the, the breakdowns of the teams. But it was enjoyable. It was competitive. But, yeah, this was the kind of game or the kind of team that I expected Maryland to be this season. I thought, and and you talk about the offense, I I take a look at how poorly they have been shooting the three ball. And in this game, they're 61.5%, but they're they're 8 of 13. But they're not taking, Zach, 27 shots. They took 13, which, given their skill set and what they've done so far this year, that's playing within themselves. That's playing within maybe the system, if you will. And I thought that was a stat for me that really stood out there. We knew that Florida plays really good defense and that they turn you over, but we also know that they turn over the ball as well. They were a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio type team. And so uh, as you take a look at, at the stats in this one, yeah, Maryland turned over the ball 15 times, but they uh, they also had their turnover issues uh, a little less, but they had 12 um, as well. So as, assuming those numbers were even, I, I felt okay knowing how good Florida's defensive prowess was. You know, both teams came in not very good shooting from the field. They were Florida very similar. In fact, Florida shot under 30% from three-point range. 
and they came out in this game and Florida hits threes at a clip of about 40%. Uh, and they ended up shooting 40%. So the fact Maryland won this game, Florida was out of character going 11 to 27 from three. They shoot like 28% from three. So, you know, grand kudos to Maryland even further with the fact that Florida scored points when generally they don't do it from three-point range. Yeah, let, uh, you know, Fats Russell really had probably his best game so far. And this is, like you said, the the team that you expect. This is the Fats Russell that we expected. 19 points, led the team along with Ayala, who had 19. Right. And three for three from three. Um, Which I will is say, not his strength either, but no, yeah, it's not. that was a great night for him, yeah. I will say two assists and five turnovers for Fats is not what you like to see. He's had turnover issues all year, and that continued in this game. Um but you obviously like to see that he was able to, to make his shots. Uh, he's missed a lot of uh, wide open uh, shots and layups this year, and we didn't see as much of that. He was driving well. Uh, two for three from the fr- from the free throw line. Uh, er- Eric Ayala got there, um, attempted five free throws. He was four for five, so they converted at the line as well. Hakeem Hart played well, only 11 points. He's really shot the ball efficiently, though. He's really been the only player who's shot the ball efficiently for mm-hmm. the majority of the season. Um, Dante Scott had a nice game as well. 12 points, uh, 5 for 12 from the field, hit a 3. Um, I will say, one, there's a few things that stand out that that this team really still needs to work on. One is the turnovers. 15 turnovers, only 9 assists uh, in this game. Obviously, one thing we have seen that's been good is that they're running more, and you really saw that in this game, and I'm not sure if that's the impact of Danny Manning because it seemed like we saw it a little bit of it towards the end of Turgeon's tenure here um, this season. Uh, but they're definitely running more this season. But Caduce Wahab has been really bad uh, really all year, but especially the last few weeks, 24 minutes, only one point. He did have eight rebounds, but he just looks lost out on the court a lot of times. And I think Pat mentioned it uh, last week. He either looks like the best player on the court or the worst player on the court. There's no in-between. He's very inconsistent. And it'll be interesting to see with the emergence of Julian Reese whether he starts starting games because Wahab really looks like a liability on the court right now. Yeah, I think part of the run and gun, and and I do think that's probably Manning saying, yeah, we need to do that more and we've got the guys to do it. I also think it was a product of Florida's high-intensity defense and the way that they like to pressure and you can get into kind of a a run and gun frantic game like that because of the style that Florida plays uh, defensively. Uh, With Wahab, and I also make a general statement that I've seen this before just in general with big men. The thing that I see Maryland not doing, and other teams don't do this as well either, I see this with Michigan and others, is that sometimes initially you walk there or you bring the ball up the court, you go to the side that, say, Wahab is posting up on, and initially I can't get the pass in. Well, you need to swing it around and bring it back real quick and work it to him again that way. Try to get the defense moving a little bit to better help him out. Or I don't feel like guards necessarily do enough. The ball fake. And, and try to get creative or do what they need to do to work it in. You're not always going to get a straight shot to be able to work it in. But sometimes, though, you can lob it up a little bit. You can, you can do some things where this is a big guy to get the ball to. Maybe you need to take some more chances, but he needs more touches, and they do need to dedicate a portion. You know, If you're going to get him going, that is, you are going to have to have a portion of your offense be a half-court game, but you've got to make a concerted effort to get it into him and it's not always going to be easy. It may not always be pretty, but 
you can't give up on it, and you need to do some things offensively uh, to make it happen, to draw the defense away, but swing the ball a few times if necessary to get it back to him. Yeah, 24 minutes, he only attempted one shot. And yeah, I mean, that, that's that's shocking. I mean, it really and is. And he did get into one. some foul trouble uh, early on, um, and, and he picked up four total. I think the, the fourth was pretty early on in the second half. Mm-hmm. Julian Reese was also in some foul trouble, so the big guys didn't have a big game uh, in this one. Um, you do have two weeks off. There's a lot of time to work on stuff. Obviously, the, the players are going to be taking finals. That's, that's this time of year. But you do have two weeks off, and then you have two really tune-up games against Loyola and Brown before you get into full-time Big Ten schedule. Yeah, and I think even though you had a week in between games with Florida, now would be the time that if you're going to make any significant changes, now would be the time to do it. And again, I'm not sure with exams, I don't know how much time they will be practicing and how much time, and obviously hitting the books and and taking the test is most important. We say two weeks, but yeah, how much of the two weeks are they actually practicing? Now, of course, the coaching staff's working on things as well. And to that end, the, one of the things that Danny Manning said coming into the game was that he wanted uh, Russell to play more at the two and that they would, because of his scoring prowess, uh, that they would rotate at the one between him, but also Akeem Hart and Eric Ayala, although Ayala was supposed to be the two guy this year and getting him off that one spot uh, so that he could score more as well. So they're going to have to figure that out because I know guys want to get into a rhythm, but they may have to uh, do what they have to do with uh, rotating that and maybe finding the hot hand at the two that night and whoever's not hot ends up playing point guard. Especially with uh, Ian Martinez still out with that concussion. Uh, Hopefully this allows him to get healthy because he was able to play the one and Russell was able to play off the ball a little bit when he was in. Uh, And it seems like, uh, you know, uh, it seems like Danny Manning still does not want to play uh, Marcus Dockery all that much. Uh, he only had one minute in this game. Uh, he had a little bit more in the previous game that Ian Martinez went out in, but really this was the Ayala and Russell show. And I'm not sure how much of that has to do with Dockery and how much of it just has to do with the fact that Ayala and Russell were playing, playing really well in this game and you don't really want to get them off the court. Uh, so all stuff to watch, and we'll see if any major changes are made. Uh, wouldn't really expect any lineup changes. The only one I could really see is maybe you put Reese in the starting lineup, but probably want to wait a little bit for that. Uh, and we'll see also with Wahab how much better he plays in the Big Ten. Uh, I feel like he matches up maybe a little bit better against some of the big men in the Big Ten than he does against some of these mid-majors or some of these smaller lineups um, so that'll be interesting to see whether he matches up better in some of those games down the stretch. Well, and, and also Xavier Green is a guy I'm going to be watching. He'll be interesting because he's a guy that essentially is supposed to be the defensive specialist, as I understand it. Yeah. So as you get into Big Ten play, may may might you see him more uh, coming off the bench, or maybe could you see him start some games depending on teams that you're playing and the offensive uh, offensive guys that they have, uh, you start the Big Ten schedule in the new year, that is. They've already played Northwestern, of course, at home, but they start that with what, at Iowa and at Illinois, I believe, the first two games, yep. uh, the third and the sixth. Now, Iowa's lost some guys from last year. They do have the one guard back, I believe it is. Uh, is it is it Bohannon that's back, I think, for one more year? Um, I believe so. I have to take a look. Uh, Illinois... They lost, of course, a guy as well to the NFL, but or the NBA, uh, excuse me. But anyway, I'm just that Green's a guy. It'll be interesting to see 
Uh, he got 14 minutes of the game against Florida. He seems to have a little bit of a mid-range jumper. He's got a ton of experience. So he's a guy that uh, we'll see if he ends up working his way into the lineup, starting lineup for just more playing time, period. Yeah, Iowa currently ranked 29th in Ken Palm and Illinois at 18th. There you so go. those are uh, two top 30 Ken Palm matchups to start the start the Big Ten season in full swing. On both the road. On the road. Oof, both yeah. on the road. Yeah. Uh, so not going to be easy at all. Um, and it was never going to be easy. The Big Ten obviously has... Uh, uh, you know, one of the better, if not the best, basketball conference, um, in the league in the country, uh, and you're you're going to run the gauntlet every week, and we saw that last year. Uh, and you got to be able to uh, to step up and be ready in every game. And uh, obviously, Maryland going to go through the coaching search and everything, but you'd still like to see this team finish strong because they have the talent to do it. They just can't put it together, at least to this point. Yeah, And you hope that despite the coaching change, because guys transferred in that bought into, hey, Mark Turgeon's going to be my head coach. Now, granted, the the rest of the staff's still there. Greg Manning Jr., by the way, was elevated to interim assistant coach. He'll continue to run basketball operations as well. Um, that was one of the changes in the last week as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's talent there, but you hope the guys could just say, look, all we can do is is continue to come together, get better individually and collectively, and try to make the best season out of it as possible. Uh, you know, Manning is at least not a guy that's green. Uh, you know, he's he's coached a fair amount of games uh, at Tolson. Wake Forest as a head coach, so he's he's been in this role before. So it doesn't all have to go down the tubes. And uh, I hope that, it, look, if they give the kind of – effort that they did against Florida the rest of the season, uh, they'll end up doing okay. And you look at the conference, I know that, uh, you know, Michigan's a team right now that's struggling quite a bit. Uh, they were yeah. picked uh, very high to start the year, and maybe they'll get it back on track. But you always have some teams that are picked to do well that don't, and some teams that are picked uh, to do uh, poorly that end up doing better than uh, than you expect. And we'll just have to see how that plays out. Uh, with the conference, but you're seeing you know, Michigan State, Ohio State are ranked, uh, but Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all off to really good starts this year, as as, as is Purdue as well. Yeah, I was going to say you can't can't forget Purdue. Yeah, Purdue's uh, the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, although we're just upset by Rutgers uh, recently at, at, at Rutgers, right? <laughs> at and Rutgers. then NC State took them to. Uh, or yes. they they came back in the game and forced overtime in the Hall of Fame Invitational the game before Maryland and Florida and ended up coming out the the victor. But they almost lost two games in one week after being ranked number one for the first time in school history. So yeah. go figure, right? So all we want for Christmas is a little bit more watchable basketball. And hopefully that Florida game was a little bit of a uh, a taste of what's to come. Uh, you don't want to see them just lay down. Uh, just, just make it enjoyable. Uh, you give yourselves a chance and you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, so I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's it for us. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Terps BSL. We'll keep you updated with everything going on. Um, but uh, happy holidays to you, Mike. Uh, you, you have anything, uh, anything good going on for Christmas and New Year's? We're just we're just going to uh, have more of a quiet holiday with the baby. We can't really with her immune system, uh, you know, still ramping up as she's very young, just a couple of weeks old. Uh, we really can't have too much in the way of company or anybody in or go or being able to go anywhere. So it'll be our first Christmas as our, our family together. And that's fine. I kind of like it that way to be quiet, having a more of a quiet you know, holiday uh, with, with Christmas and, and New Year's. So uh, we're, 
we'll be here and um, I'll be doing some uh, fill-in work on the fan uh, with uh, the holidays with people taking off and such. So it'll, it'll be nice. And that's the way, that's the way I would, I would rather have it anyway. So uh, I'm, uh, it's a busy year. So at the end of the year, I'm not apt to just uh, jump in the car and go driving hundreds of miles to, to visit as much as I love my family to do that because um, yeah, it's been a long year. No doubt. No doubt. Plenty of good sports to watch between college oh, football, basketball, absolutely. NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Everything, everything good. All the bowl you know, our Ravens are falling apart with uh, injuries and, and well, thankfully not COVID yet. Although one player, uh, I think uh, one player is on Chuck Clark's on the COVID list yeah. for Sunday's game against Green Bay. Saw that today, but where yeah. you can only take so many injuries before you just, you fall apart. And we're, we're close to that with Lamar now being, uh, being out with the ankle. Yeah, honestly, if you had told me before the year, though, uh, after all the guys got hurt, that we were going to be eight and five and leading the division, I'd, I'd tell you you were crazy. So yeah, yeah. I guess it, I'll take it, it. None of the rest of the division wants to uh, you know, know. take the lead here. I mean, the, the Ravens are opening the door, and Cincinnati can't get it done. And you know, Pittsburgh has the big win against us, and then they uh, they lose Thursday night against uh, Minnesota, get down twenty three nothing, and. I don't know how that happens. I mean, and guys, I don't know if the Browns are going to be able to field the team this week against the Raiders. So well, that's right. Yeah, they've got major <laughs> COVID issues, and uh, you know, look, they should have wiped the floor with the Ravens at home in a big game coming off a bye. The fact they allow the Ravens with a backup quarterback back into that game just shows you uh, the Browns are are not as good as everybody made them out to be preseason. Yeah, so lots of good sports to watch. I'll, I'll be, I will be jumping in the car and driving hundreds of miles down to Florida. Uh, no, Saturday Jay, actually. So, okay. okay. Yeah. So that, that'll be good. Place to go though. If you have to no. And you know, my, par place to go. my parents bought the place down there recently, moved down there earlier this year. And I've been looking forward to Christmas in Florida for a long time now. So good for you. Yeah. 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 So, so I'll, I'll enjoy the, the warm weather seventies and eighties and, uh, and return home and hopefully bring some of it back with me. Are you going to go to Gainesville first and flash your Maryland uh, T-shirt or wave the Maryland flag after the win Sunday? I should if it was uh, if it was on the way, I probably would. If it was Jacksonville, I'd be able to do that. But they're right on the East Coast, so it's just okay. ninety-five South straight down. Nice. Uh, if I had the money, I might uh, I might go to that college football playoff at the Orange Bowl, but do not have yeah. That Which kind of cash, Michigan and uh, Michigan and Georgia. That's a big yeah. game. Yeah, big game. Yeah, big game on New Year's Eve for you. Uh, and yeah. obviously, I think that one should be should be close. Hopefully, a good game. Not sure about that Alabama Cincinnati one. Yeah, but, and I agree. And obviously, from a Michigan standpoint, they're representing the Big Ten, so we want the Big Ten to you know show well against the SEC there as well. And I do think, even though I'm biased, I do think that game. I think Michigan. Um, can give them a game. I think their defense can keep them in the game. Yeah. Um, offensively, it'll be a, an uphill climb. The offensive line is going to have to have the type of game they had against Ohio State. Now, I don't think they're going to run for near 300 yards against them, but they're they're going to need to do some damage there. And then, obviously, in the passing game, they're going to have to make some plays there down the field. I, I have bought more into McNamara there. But anyway, the bigger point is uh, hopefully the Big Ten shows well against the SEC. And it's been a magical year for Harbaugh to see what happened with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. After all the crap and all the years of being beaten and and yeah. and and just uh, stomped on, I tell you, this is the year of Harbaugh, and to see what happened with Meyer and beating Ohio State, um, this is uh, this is sweet. I can tell you that. Well, nobody wants to see an Alabama Georgia rematch in the national championships game. So please get your boys in the national championships so we can <laughs> see Bama versus Michigan. I, that would be yeah, that would be pretty cool if it, if it was Bama Michigan. Although I, I I'll say this though, I could see a path where 
you know, Georgia comes out, they disappoint in the SEC championship game. They come back, they play a, a Michigan team who's having, you know, some might say a Cinderella year, although they've got some talent on that team. Don't, don't, uh, don't let anybody fool you on that one. Um, but but get it done in that semifinal game and then get revenge against Alabama. I could see that maybe maybe being the Georgia, you know, 2021 season into 22. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. yeah. So we'll be watching that New Year's Eve. Uh, and yeah. while you're watching uh, Maryland versus Virginia Tech, be sure to join us on the message boards at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. I'll have a preview article up for that game um earlier in that week i just put up a recap of early national signing day today so be sure to check that out mike do you have anything in the works in the next couple weeks yeah so what i want to do is and i'll have it this weekend is i want to contrast what took place last week with those you know with those players leaving with the class that came in i want to talk about that i want to follow up a little bit on the turgeon story uh as we talked about in the last podcast uh, we um, you know, a good source of mine told me what, what ended up being the case is Pat brought up about the $5 million uh, and the fact that ultimately Maryland did part ways with Turgeon. It wasn't Turgeon, you know, leaving uh, on his own without them doing something uh, with it. So anyway, I'll, I'll get into, uh, I guess, the rest of the story, if you will, uh, on that as well. So we'll, we'll kind of intertwine the football and basketball together. Yeah, so keep your eyes out for that. We'll put it up at Talking Terps BSL on Twitter, BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, up on the message boards. Uh, and happy holidays to everybody out there. Go Terps. Uh, and for my co-host, Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel. Happy holidays and roll Terps.